Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 708, with Mike Berend. Oh, it's good to be back. Like, my caution in all this is to get so sterile that we've removed the human experience out of the transaction. Are you ready for it factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then, join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. For years, restaurant owners have been pleading for more integration in their restaurants, and they finally got it. Restaurant 365 is a cloud-based, all-in-one, restaurant-specific accounting and back-office platform that seamlessly integrates with POS systems, payroll providers, and food and beverage vendors. Head over to restaurant365.com slash unstoppable and qualify for 30% off implementation and a free inventory build in Restaurant 365 a value of $5,000. Don Professional, it does more than just save greasy oil slicking ducks. It also happens to be the number one dish detergent found in almost every commercial kitchen with long-lasting suds that clean 58% more dishes per sink. To learn more, go to www.pgpro.com and experience the grease-fighting power of Don Professional Dishwashing Liquid. You can find Don Professional at Sam's Club or by visiting samsclub.com slash Don Professional. Yo, what's going on, Unstoppables? And man, it does it feel good to be back as businesses. I knew it. Not quite the same. I'm not going to be traveling, obviously, during the coronavirus while it's still kind of a threat and its peak threat stages. But I did want to get back to recording deep dive conversations, profiling the careers of restaurateurs and being a source of inspiration. I think right now there's a lot going on um, in our worlds. There's a whole lot we don't have control over, but what we do have control over is what we choose to do with this time. So, uh, you know, I'm a, going to continue to share stories that inspire and motivate and empower you to come back even stronger after this all. And also we're going to continue to share some of the best practices that are happening in these restaurants and how they're adapting and pivoting and evolving their businesses to, uh, survive this pandemic. So, um, I just want to get some sense of normalcy back and I'm sure you guys did too. So maybe you're not back in your restaurants, uh, doing what you're doing. Life isn't what you, you had known it to be a few, like a month ago, but maybe this gets you a step closer to a sense of normalcy, just getting back to our traditional type of content. And uh, hopefully soon I'll, I'll be able to travel again. I'll be on the road out there bringing you guys in the restaurants with me like we were doing before. Uh, today we have Mike Barron on the show. Some great stuff covered in today's chat. Just a couple of things we talk about. I'm um, listening to your staff. Uh, you can learn a lot from your staff. Be receptive to them. Give yourself permission to to let them into the conversation and to contribute to your restaurant, uh, how to evolve and pivot with your guiding principles. I'm sure a lot of you are, are pivoting right now, making a lot of adaptations and trying to evolve with these weird times, right? We also talk about transitioning uh, through recessions. That's some, some uh, good advice. I'm sure you can pull from there for the upcoming future, what it looks like, unfortunately, how to stay in your lane. We talk about that transitioning into a college town. If you have multiple uh, locations, single concept, multiple locations, and you're transitioning into a college town, how that might look different, how that, that landscape might look different. We talk about how to get your product into the hands of people, just getting it into their hands, guerrilla marketing, right? Um, and the big thing here, I'll give you a hint. It's about donating food, not money, 
giving people your food is a great way to market yourself. And that's just a few examples of the things we talk about in today's chat. Uh, Why not just like get right into it? Here it is. Enjoy. With excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest, Mike Barron. Mike, my man, it's been over a month since I've asked this question, and I cannot wait to ask it to you. Are you feeling unstoppable today? Yes, I am feeling unstoppable. Yes, awesome. I cannot wait to get into your story, but let me give the listeners an idea of who you are. Uh, Mike Barron is a professional chef with more than 30 years of experience in the restaurant business. With his mother, Luann Singleton, they opened and operated Lulu's Bakery and Cafe for 15 years. In January of 2006, they sold Lulu's, allowing them to begin construction on Green, San Antonio's first vegetarian restaurant. Four years later, they opened the first earth burger today there is now three green vegetarian cuisines and three earth burgers in and around san antonio i cannot wait to get into your story but let's get that motivational inspirational ball rolling with a success quote or mantra what do you got for us i like the uh the fishing is best where others won't go the fishing is best where others won't go dive into that and why it resonates with you well you know um I, I read this a long time ago. I read a book by Dave Thomas, you know, his biography. And he said that, you know, he'd rather be different than better or best. And for me, that's uh, it's always easier to be different, you know, to prove that you're best at something or you have the best burger in town or the best enchiladas in town that requires everybody else to go taste all the other ones, you know, but to be different is, is easier. And it's, and it's, it's smarter, I think too. Yeah. And, and I think today in the, in the world where there's so much noise and you're, it's, it's not possible to be everything to everybody anymore. You have to be a few things to a few people. Uh, and ideally the best at a few things to a, a, a market of people who really want what you got. Is that yeah. something that you agree or disagree on? No, I, I agree with that. You know, um, a lot of times, you know, people, come, you know, young and upcoming people come up to me and they have an idea for something, you know, ah, I want to open a burger place or I want to open a pizza place or whatever. And my next question is, you know, what are you doing that's different than everybody else? You know, yeah. um, Oh, I'm going to have the best, you know, tacos in town. Okay. Well, how are they different? You know, I just keep diving back into that because that's what really separates us from, from others is, you know, when, when we opened green in 2007, we were the only vegetarian restaurant in, you know, a big meat eating city and a big meat eating state, you know? So, yeah, man. Um, great way to get this thing started. So, uh, I'm sure you didn't know right away, uh, that, um, the basically the better, the more you specialize in something that the better off you'll be. So let's go back to where, you know, it all started. Uh, when did you know that you were going to dedicate your life to this industry? Well, um, when I was, I grew up in South Texas, Quero, Texas, a little small town. I grew up playing football and everything. But um, what I also did was I loved to watch those chef shows kind of when they first started when I was in high school, you know, great chefs of Chicago and all those things. And, and I always loved to cook and garden. So um, I grew up cooking for my buddies, grew up in the kitchen with my grandma and my mom, you know, so I always loved to cook. I always knew I went to college on a chemistry scholarship, but that just turned into I dropped out after a couple of years and opened a restaurant. So, well, I mean, chemistry is that not cooking? Like, you know, like yeah, I think exactly, yeah. if you if you can figure out chemistry and, and there's so much, I mean, cooking is chemistry. So, I'm sure that served you to this day. Um, when did you start your professional career in restaurants, though? Uh, I started in 1991. Okay, um, had a restaurant called the Jailhouse Cafe that was right by the Bear County Jail in San Antonio. So. 
Okay. Um, now, from my research, it sounds like it was right around 1991 that your mom opened uh, Lulu's. Is that correct? Yeah. I mean, the Jailhouse Cafe kind of morphed into Lulu's, okay. um, you know, and we opened Lulu's like 99, but we had had the Jailhouse Cafe first and big chicken fried steaks and uh, barbecue and Tex-Mex and uh, these huge cinnamon rolls that they're, you know, famous for. So uh, it was, and then that turned into be a Lulu's was a 24 hour diner, you know, so okay. um, that was a, a grinder. So take us through those early days and what it was like getting ready for jailhouse cafe. Cause this is the first restaurant you, your, your mom owns it. Do you, are you a partner at this time or like what's, what's the business relationship look like there? Oh, back then. Yeah. Um, yeah. My, um, my dad had owned this building and somebody was renting out a little restaurant for years and years and they went out of business and, uh, we went in there and opened up, I opened it up, um, uh, uh, jailhouse cafe with my mom back then. And it was a pretty big hit. I mean, at one point that restaurant sat 450 people, Wow! you know, it was over 20,000 square feet. And, uh, it was a, it was a big deal, big chicken fried steaks. And we started making these huge cinnamon rolls that, uh, we became pretty famous for. Back okay. Then, so. so, um, you guys had zero restaurant experience before this. You just enjoyed cooking. Yeah, I just enjoyed. I mean, I was just straight out of college, you know, 20 years old. Um, my mom had worked um, in a like a senior home cooking in the kitchen. She'd always been cooking, but never in the restaurant business. So, yeah. OK, so what was the like? I mean, how old were you at this time in 1991? Not to, to date uh, you. 20 years old, 20 yeah. years old. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So reflecting back at this time, what, what was it like being the uh, first time? I mean, were you a partner at this time or were you just working for your mom? No, I was a partner. That's awesome. Yeah. My mom and I were partners from the start, you know? So yeah, it was, uh, it was interesting. Um, it's kind of the, the reverse of where I am right now in my career back then I was the youngest person, you know, managing and and leading a team of people that were a lot older than me. And now it's the, uh, it's the complete opposite. Well, take us through what that was like in 1991. You don't have the same access to resources you have today, right? What was it like starting your first restaurant? Who were you going to? How are you? you know, getting the, the mentorship and the knowledge you needed to be successful. You know, it's, it's, it's kind of, it hasn't changed a lot in this aspect is that everything I've learned, I've learned from people that we've brought on board with us, you know, really? you know, we had a, a cook named Robert that was with us early there who had, you know, worked at a lot of restaurants, a lot of short order places and stuff. And uh, he came on board and, you know, taught me how to make a club, my first club sandwich, you know, taught, uh, learned how to make a chicken fried steak from, you know, from somebody um, early on there. Everything we learned were, were from people that we brought on, you know, that's what's great about this industry is that, you know, if, if you pay attention, if you listen and you watch, you can learn everything you need to know from your crew. Yeah. Um, so what were your biggest challenges in the first couple uh, years or first couple months or even before opening? What were your challenges? Oh, back then, um, you know, the business aspect of it, you know, and, and uh, you know, uh, narrow and, you know, your menu can get really big, really fast and, and not really knowing your numbers. And that was, you know, pre, you know, the computers weren't great back then, you know, the point of sale systems weren't great back then, you know, so, um, you know, not knowing all the different ways that, you know, that you can lose money in the restaurant business. So what you know? were the, the biggest lessons you learned early on the the the, the numbers you weren't paying attention to that you started paying attention to the, the things you weren't tracking that you started tracking and they take us through that evolution. 
Well, you know, I always tell people this, you know, the restaurant business is a, you know, is a business of nickels and pennies, you know, and, and, uh, and, you know, and a, a well-run restaurant can make five to 10% profit, you know, well, it's very easy to lose five to 10% profit if, if you're not minding those things. So, you know, things like, you know, theft, things like spoilage, um, you know, things like, uh, you know, just portion control, um, those are things that, you know, they're not fun and they're not sexy to, to look after, but those are, that's where the money in the business yes. is, especially in a business that doesn't sell alcohol and stuff, but even maybe even more so in a business that does sell alcohol, you really have to watch those things too. So yeah, you don't make your money in the restaurant industry and the money coming in, you make it on the money going out. Exactly. Uh, yeah. So, uh, I mean, I, I feel like back then, um, the way to track these things, there's so much technology now that we, we lean on to, to, to do it more efficiently. But is there any other lessons, uh, reflecting back at that time, hard lessons learned that you can share with us? Well, there was a, I had a friend that, uh, that worked at Jim's, the coffee shop place here in, in San Antonio. And, and, uh, he showed me like, uh, kind of gave me some insights there where they, um, they use this big black book, you know, before computers and everything and every day your sales and every day your purchases and, and you just kind of, and I still kind of watch that, you know, even, you know, computerized nowadays, but I still kind of watch those things. You know I mean? If you, if you find a level that your purchases should be in and that's, you know, you know, that's going to end up being close to your food costs. I know that's not full inventories and all those things too, that you have to do, but, but, um, monitoring those things on a daily or at least a weekly basis, you know, before things get out of hand, um, is something I learned to, you know, to kind of watch those numbers on the daily, on the weekly, look at your purchases, go over invoices, you know, um, and not just, you know, wait till the end of the year and for a big surprise or something. What gets tracked gets controlled. Or I think the other saying is what gets measured gets managed, right? You can't manage something if you don't know where it was yesterday. You have to keep a track. You have to be able to see a trend. Yeah. And you can only expect what you inspect, you know? Yes. So, uh, I love it. I've heard that before too. Yeah. So, um, when did you guys, like, when did things really start? I mean, were you guys jamming on day one with jailhouse cafe or was it something that kind of evolved and scaled and got busier and busier over time? Take us through that. Well, um, let's see. my dad owned the whole building and this restaurant was little when we started, maybe, you know, 2000 square feet and it grew to be, you know, 20,000 square feet just took over the whole building. So initially it was a very busy little restaurant with counter seat. And then he tore down a wall and another wall and another wall and, and, uh, and just got really big, really fast, you know, uh, I mean, over the course of a couple of years and uh, kind of got too big, you know, and too spread out. And, and which is one thing that I also learned of, and I learned over the years of opening different, different restaurants and things is that, um, you know, there's a, there's a good size for a place, you know, and, and a, a place that you can manage and you can see every nook and corner and, and, and walk around and see what's going on. And that got way too big um, back then. You know, when, what is that size? Paint a picture of what that size looks like. So as you said, you got off to 450 seats at one point yeah. uh, and then you just got too big for your britches. Uh, when, what, where would you have stopped looking back at that scaling? Um, where would have been the sweet spot? I think the sweet spot for us is, uh, you know, at, at green right now. And, um, I think the, the sweet spot and a sit down restaurant is, you know, 2,500 to 3,500 square feet, but more like 2,500 to 3000 square feet. So how does that, um, how does that, uh, relate? You said 450 seats before. Um, so, so you know, 125 to gotcha. 150 seats is so about is a third manageable. the size. 
Yeah, about a third of that. Yeah. Four. I mean, it all depends. You know, there's people that can do that, you know, better than I can. But um, I'd rather, you know, be leaner and, and be able you know, have a line than have empty seats that you're paying for. You know? Yeah, that's a good point. Um, one thing I love about this story so far is that you started small and you scaled slowly, uh, laterally. I think people try to go big on day one. And like you say, you're better having a little bit of a line than having a bunch of empty real estate within your restaurant. Yeah. Um, and that line also communicates to the people driving by that that place is worth going checking out. Wherever there's people, wherever there's a line, there's interest. So, yeah. um, so how long did it take you to break down the first wall? Oh, um, back then it took us, I, I don't know, maybe a year or so. I mean, okay. but we were, like you said, own the building. So it was, you know, Makes it, it was easy to do, yeah. but, um, yeah, it, it was about after about a year of, uh, of doing what we were doing, we needed that extra space. Mm -hmm. So, um, I, I'm curious about this evolution. And one thing I'm already starting to see a trend is that you guys are, are, are always evolving, always pivoting and staying yeah. fresh. In 1991, you started as the jailhouse cafe by, uh, 2000 and, or would you say 97? You guys? No, ninety nine. We moved to uh, moved to our location. Open up Lulu's Bakery and Cafe. So you moved. You you guys own this location. Um, you moved the jailhouse, rebranded, and called it Lulu's Bakery and Cafe. Well, the jailhouse cafe. My dad owned that building. My mom, and my dad were divorced, so it got kind of complicated. But okay. uh, so um, so my mom and I, who's always been my partner, opened up Lulu's Bakery and Cafe in a different building, and that was kind of the end of the jailhouse cafe. So um, what, I hate to make it personal, but was it the, no, was it the business that um, was the business still f thriving in 1999 or did the business start to taper off and, or was it just the fact that your, you know, your, your mom got split from your dad, which kind of made the business relationship awkward. Um, well, they were split when it started, okay. you know, actually. Okay. So it was, that part isn't what driv drove it, but um my dad had other plans for that building and didn't want to do the restaurant anymore. My mom and I wanted to have the restaurant. So we located, um, we located in an old Denny's, um, like a 24 hour diner on, uh, on main street in San Antonio. And it was gangbusters there from the start. So, I mean, it was a, it was a better location and it was, uh, you know, we decided to go 24 hours there and, uh, it was, it was just a big hit from the start at that location. So what was the reason behind your brand change. Why actually, before we get into that, this is a good spot mm -hmm. to take our spot or to thank our sponsors. I'll be right back or we'll be right back. If you're sick of paying multiple vendors and services to outfit your restaurant needs only to deal with the frustrations of technology that's clunky and void of that seamless experience that you so need, then you've got to check out Restaurant 365, a cloud-based restaurant-specific accounting and back-office platform that seamlessly integrates with your POS system, payroll provider, food and beverage vendors, and banks. With Restaurant 365, you'll have real-time reporting and analysis to make the best and most data-driven decisions. No more guessing. Other features include detailed daily and labor data from your POS system, accounts payable automation, automated bank reconciliation, incorporated inventory management with guidance on reducing your food costs, and scheduling features to reduce labor costs and engage your employees, all saving you time, money, and headaches. Take action today and find out how Restaurant 365 is saving restaurant owners up to 5% on Prime 
costs. That's awesome. Head over to restaurant365.com slash unstoppable and qualify for 30% off implementation and get a free inventory build within the system, a value of 5K. We're back and uh, we're at the point now. It's 1999. You just moved out of Jailhouse Cafe and um, to a new location and rebranded to Lulu's Bakery and Cafe. Uh, what? I mean, why? Why this location? Get, let's get into the location. Was this take us through that whole process? Was it the location came first, and then you you decided to move, or was it we need a new location? You started looking. Take us through that 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 process. Well, it's funny. Um, you know, our landlord at the other property um, had told us that you know that we needed it. You know, like they weren't going to renew our lease, so we had about we had about four or five months left, and we we're scrambling for a spot to kind of reload. Was your landlord your dad? <laughs> What's that? Was it your landlord, or your dad? Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. But it was like kind come of on, a, dad. <laughs> a, yeah, not not a great relationship. Oh man, sorry. but uh, he'd let us know that he wasn't going to renew our lease over there. So we, we're scrambling. We're actually sitting at a a Luby's in on Main Street in San Antonio. We're talking about what we're going to do, and uh, I look across the street from this Luby's on Main Street, and there's this old kind of boarded up looking little diner there, and uh, it's in the parking lot of this hotel, and uh, we go over there, and I just asked the guy at the front desk of the hotel who happened to be the owner of the hotel, you know, Hey, what's going on with that little diner? And he's like, Oh, you know, I'm thinking about renting it out someday or whatever. And uh, we had a handshake deal that day. And, and this uh, was originally a Denny's. Is that, is that what I heard earlier? Yeah. It was originally an old Denny's, you know, and uh, you know, 3000 square feet, you know, counters, you know, set up and everything. And um, over the next couple of months, we, uh, our crew from the jailhouse cafe, came over, we gutted it all. We spent, I remember exactly. It was like 20 grand, you Damn. know, to turn that thing into a restaurant. Try to do know? that today. Yeah. Yeah. I Good luck it. today yeah. on that, right. you know, but, um, but we, uh, we moved, uh, we closed one night at the jailhouse cafe, had moving trucks open up the next day at, at that location. And it was, you know, praise God, it was busy from day one. Wow. So I'm curious why rebrand. It sounds like at this point, the jailhouse cafe had a good brand, a good reputation, loyal customers. Um, what was the reason for changing the name and rebranding to Lulu's cafe? Well, the other place was, um, was literally next door to the jail. Okay. You know, and uh, so changing the location across town, it, it didn't really make a lot of sense to us. And it was it was just kind of our I mean, we basically had the same menu and the same and the exact same crew. Everybody went with us, you know, so um, it was just a fresh start, you know. So and, you know, um, yeah, it was it was uh, it was a success for us from the start. Were there things that you, you know, had envisioned that you wanted to do that maybe weren't on brand with a jailhouse cafe that would have been more on brand with a Lulu's bakery. Like what you, you got to redefine yourself. So in that process of being able to redefine yourself, how did you prioritize things? How were you, how are you wanting to come back stronger and better? Well, we, um, we realized that with that location, there were multiple, which was, which was really awesome. There were multiple different, um, groups of people that would be servicing. So um, like we're on the strip in San Antonio where all the clubs were and everything. And so in that, but we're close to downtown in the parking lot of this hotel and everything. So what we were able to see from the start is that we had the businessmen during lunch and, and, and families at dinner. And then when we were open 24 hours at night, we got the bar business and the club business and everything. So it was a, it was really amazing that like three different crowds that it, that we got in that, in that location. And we were able, which we weren't able to get at the other location. It was just straight, you know, 
business crowd for lunch at the other location. But this one, we got to really get those. So I look for that type of synergy in any locations now, even. Is it just going to be straight business lunch and no residential? Or is there going to be tourist, residential? You know, we look for those kind of things, you know, where you can get the most, you know, the most synergy we can. You know, So, so uh, aside from rebranding, uh, is one thing you did to evolve. You rebranded. You got a new name, a new appropriate name for the new location. Uh, what about operations? Did you change anything in regard to operations to, to kind of step up your game? Well, it was a you know, which was kind of cool. It, that Denny's floor plan and and the the uh, design of the building kind of forced us to be leaner and and meaner. So we had to you know, lean down our menu. We had to um, you know spread our production out over, over more hours because it was a smaller place, but that was good for us. You know, um, Denny's had come up with that design after, you know, years and years and years of operating and had it, you know, and it was a perfect kitchen, like that galley style kitchen, which is kind of what we still do today where everything is close and tight and happens faster. And, um, you know, that's something that, that we keep with us even today at Green is like, you know, you come in there for lunch, we, we're shooting for seven minute ticket times. You know, I mean, we're shooting to get you, you know, get you back to work. And, you know, if you want to build that lunchtime crowd and we do that all day, whether it's a Sunday brunch or whatever, it's just there's a hustle. And that was kind of built into the design of that Denny's was that hustle. You know? Got you. So you had another pivot. uh in 2006. So you had, so you started as a jailhouse in 1991 in 1999, uh, eight years later, you, you pivoted to Lulu's bakery and cafe. What's going on in 2006. That makes you, and it sounds like you're successful with Lulu's yeah. ba- bakery and cafe. Was, I mean, w- did you guys get some good press and some media around your cinnamon rolls at one point? Oh yeah. Well, that's a, that's a funny story too. But uh, the pivot was like about 2005. Personally, I became a vegetarian, you know, and, uh, you know, for ethical reasons and, and, um, and, and just the lifestyle and health reasons, multitude of reasons I became a vegetarian. And, um, we'll paint that I picture just, first. Where were you in 2000? You said 2005, where yeah. was your health? Um, I mean, my health was, was not great. I mean, I was young, but you know, I was, you know, we we're burning at both ends. That's the thing about a 24 hour business, you know, too, is that, you know, you're getting calls from, you know, people not showing up at two o'clock in the morning on a Sunday morning. It's, it's brutal. Yeah. You know, the 24 hour restaurant business it has its you know highlights, but it's it's brutal on the staffing part of it. So I was not getting enough sleep. You know, I wasn't taking good care of myself, you know, and um, and, you know, so that, you know, that's that's part of the reason I became vegetarian. I just I just really, you know, 35 years of being, you know, eating meat and all that stuff it just wasn't working for me at that time. So um, and after I did that, you know, it just my heart really wasn't in that anymore, you know, selling meat, um, you know, live in one way and then operating a business that, that wasn't really, according to my principles, wasn't, wasn't, I wasn't feeling it anymore. What were the principles? How did your principles evolve? Well, you know, I wanted to, uh, I wanted to have a better impact on people's lives. Um, and I wanted to, um, I wanted to do things differently, you know, so, you know, put meat in styrofoam boxes. My heart just wasn't in that anymore, Mm. you know? So, um, you know, so as my principles developed, I just became less and less into it there. And a buddy of mine who wasn't in the restaurant business, he's like, well, why don't you just sell this thing? You know, and I'm like, I didn't know that was a really a possibility. You know, I mean, at the time, yeah. we didn't own the building. All we had, but but we were ginning. We were we were doing 
good numbers and had a really good business and a loyal following. And um, so I, you know, I listed it with a broker and, you know, some guy out of California bought it and, uh, and uh, you know, and that was, that was a miracle, you know, is Lulu still there today? Lulu's is still there, but there's a, there's a diff- it's been under different ownership for the past 12, 13 years or so. I think you bring up something that's really interesting. Um, this idea that we aren't the same person all throughout life. We evolve. We have you know experiences that influence us and our perspectives, our, our ethics, our values change over time. And I like to say that behind every great restaurant is a great person and that restaurant is an extension of who that person is. But if that person's changing, if that person's evolving – Sometimes it's hard to, like you say, like still have that 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 passion, that love for the business when the when the business is a reflection of an earlier version of ourselves, right? Yeah, I like that. Uh, and you know, it's I would you know say if if you're not into it anymore, whatever your brand is, if you're not feeling it and you don't want to be there, then then don't be there, you know. And um, because you're not doing anybody a favor by doing that, you know. I even tell that. You know, a lot of people in our in our industry are trend, are moving through. You know, but I'll, I'll tell people kindly in in my business, hey, if you if you're not feeling it, don't be here. You know, because you're not doing any of us a favor if you're not feeling it. So, yeah, you're, um, you're lower than bar be- across the industry. You know, um, for yeah, sure. You know. So, what what advice do you have for somebody? Uh, maybe not right now, uh, for obvious reasons when this is going live. Uh, but somebody who's in their business, um, maybe in the future if they continue to evolve and they what's that the best practices as far as putting your business up uh, you want to stay in the game but you just want to redefine yourself how do, how do you clean your hands of that business any best practices there well um yeah you know i mean i want to you know a business is worthless to me as soon as it's closed you know so you have to stay open you have to communicate what you're doing i mean if you're planning on selling a business or whatever you have to communicate it with your crew you have to uh, make sure they're on board with it because um, what that person is is who's buying this from you is really buying your goodwill, the goodwill of your customers and the goodwill of your staff. And um, and you got to make sure that that's all there, you know, and that those people are taken care of, you know. Um, so I made sure that the when we were doing it, that our key personnel would be taken care of. Um, this guy liked what we were doing um, and um, wanted to do the same thing, you know, so. And it's funny, um, I was, and I was going to babysit him through that transition until it was up and running. And, uh, and he, I wanted to, I wanted him to be successful. You know, we had an opportunity to sell it to two different people. I knew this guy, funny enough, was a former Denny's operator. Oh, so I knew he had, he I knew he had <laughs> what it took to be successful, you know? Yeah. But, uh, one book that I recommend to everybody is a finished big, and it's this mentality that, um, we don't, a lot of us don't have exit strategy. Our, our, our exit strategy is die, you know, yeah. and <laughs> it's not a good one. So when you're building your business from day one, like you should build your business with the mentality that you're going to sell it someday. Uh, yeah. you, you might not want to, but you don't know how you're going to feel in 10 years. So build that business with the intention to make it something that can be sold that. So you're not just selling the concept. You're selling the systems, the processes, the procedures. You want that thing to be as turnkey as possible, right? Yeah. So you can easily step away from it. Um, and I mean, was that kind of, were you building those things into your business? Were you, trying to build a, a, a series of systems and processes and not just a brand? Well, um, I'm actually not the, I mean, I, I had to bring people on for systems and processes cause that's not really me. I'm a, I'm a person, I'm a people person. Yeah. So um, 
I had a crew in place that was going to carry him into success. And, and he was a systems and processes guy that came in and, and really turned it in and made it even more profitable than it was when I was there. And a funny thing that happened, I was there, like I said, babysitting the process, the transition. I was sitting at the counter a month after I sold it to the guy and I was uh, going over some stuff with him and are going over some stuff with some of the staff there. And they said, Oh, there's a phone call. And, and they handed me the, they handed me the phone and it was, man versus food. And this is after I had sold oh, it to him. Oh man. And yeah. And, uh, and they're like, Oh yeah, this guy's been trying to get in touch. And I just like, you know, I set up the whole thing for him to come in and you know, that guy was on man versus food. Lulu's was. And, uh, like the next, the next week after it aired, their business doubled. Oh wow. You know? So, Hey yeah, man, so, well good for this guy. I mean, I yeah, yeah, like yeah. it must've felt good to know that you're selling something of value, right? Yeah. Yeah. His sales doubled the next day after they were on that show. Oof, how did that feel? Ah, it was fun. You know, when I was, I was already on a, on a different mission a different path. And I, and I was glad to know that, you know, that they were going to be successful there, you know, and uh, man, that's like, uh, you know, getting on one of those shows is like winning the lottery in the business, you know, yeah. if you're in, especially diet. back in like the early two thousands. And I mean, the, 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 the internet was around then, but I feel like those 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 shows still impactful today, but back then, man, holy cow! Yeah, everybody was watching yeah. cable TV yeah. back then, and in the Travel Channel or the Food Network, and and there are a lot of other things to watch right now. So it's more diluted, you know, for sure. Um, so now it's 2006. Um, you have this new perspective on life, this new uh, purpose in life to to kind of you know share your values right with the rest of the world. What was going on with the relationship with you and your mom? Did, did she want to sell Lulu's like, this is her baby too. How, what, what did that look like? Oh, my mom has always been my partner and, and, you know, one of my best friends, you know, and uh, she believed in me and whatever we were going to do. So she was, you know, yeah, she was gung ho for it. And, um, you know, and I had this idea and everybody thought it was crazy back then, except my mom. And my business partner, Paul, who came on then too, he was, uh, my business partner, Paul was a vegetarian his whole life. And, and, uh, when I kind of came around to it and he's like, Hey, whenever you do that, I want in, you know, I want in from the start. And it meant a lot to me that he, he believed in it. And my mom believed in it from the start, you know? So, um, now we're talking you know, he, 2006, 2007, you are at that leading edge of the, the vegetarian wave that, that's about to hit. That's still, you know, that, that wave, you can still ride it to this day. It's still going strong. And I don't, I don't think yeah. it's going anywhere anytime soon because of the, the, the value of a, a good diet. I think we're getting way more intelligent as a society in general. But um, what, what was it like back then before, especially in Texas, a steak and potato kind of state? What was that like to, to, to try to start something that's so left field? It's funny, you know, at even right. while we were still at Lulu's, I was testing out some recipes and, you know, and making a vegan chocolate cake and making a, a you know, our version of a chicken fried steak that was made with this um, seitan, they call it, or gluten, you know, and, and, uh, and uh, man, customers, they were laughing, you know, and even the staff, they thought it was hilarious, you know, and, uh, you know, and people weren't, weren't really getting it, you know, um, back then, you know, I mean, that was something that happened in California or something. That wasn't something that happened in Texas, you know? So, um, but you know, it was also the kind of the dawn of, you know, MySpace and all that stuff, you know? So once we kind of got on that and, and let people know what we were doing, we got a, we got a diehard group of, of, uh, of followers before we even opened up green. And, um, 
and you know, people were waiting for us when we did it. You know? I think that's a really, really uh, important thing to bring to the surface. This idea that we had a, a solid following before we even opened. And a lot of people, when they, when they vision their, their restaurant, right. They're like, they're, they're always so th- caught up in what it's going to look like that they forget that that comes with time, but you can start today with developing relationships, right? With developing your brand and getting that brand in front of people and sharing the story that the come up of what that looks like. And I think a lot of people don't, don't realize they can start right now. Um, where was this coming from? Like this idea to get on, on, on my space, even back to 2005. And how did you have that intuition to, to start developing those relationships? I mean, you already had the the relationships, I'm sure because of your other businesses that you could just kind of transfer Mm -hmm. over. Take us through that. Well, um, you know, it was funny that there were groups of people in San Antonio that were very gung ho that we were going to do this, you know, like the vegetarian society and, and, um, you know, and we just started, you know, taking them over. We, we, I'd bought this building, which was, you know, maybe a mile and a half from Lulu's and that's where I was going to do the first green. And, uh, I started taking people by there from the society and showing them. And then we started doing just some little private dinners there in the building while it was under, while it was being remodeled and everything. And, uh, just got people, it's important to get them to take, get the community to take ownership of what you're doing. Mm. And, uh, they were invested in what we were doing from day one. And people still come up to me today, 14 years later and say, you know, Hey, I was there. I ate at that dinner, you know, you know, when the, as it wasn't even a green before it was open, I was sitting in there eating with you and, and, you know, it's, it's cool. People really have taken ownership in what we've done. How do you get your, your target market to take ownership of your business? What's that look like? Well, it's, it's unique for us is that it has to be more than just food. You know, it has to, they have to buy into the other things that you're doing and why you're doing it. They have to buy into the why. I know that's a real popular thing, but they have to buy into the why. You know, I wanted to be a part of something better in people's lives from the start. And, you know, and whether you're, you know, I don't, it's not my mission for everybody to be vegetarian, but I want people to eat more vegetables, you know, and, uh, and I want people to, you know, be kinder to the environment. And, uh, you know, I want, uh, so those kind of principles, it's people, there were a lot of people out there that were into those things already, you know, and uh, people want to feel good about where they spend their money, about where they spend their time and about what you're doing and how you're treating people. And, um, you know, if you do those things and you let people know that you're doing those things, they're going to, they're going to get behind you. So basically what I'm hearing, if you want people to buy in and take an ownership of your business, then you have to appeal to their higher purposes as well. They want, you have to get them to identify with the core values of your business. And then, I mean, it comes down to psychographics, right? Does, does doing business with this company aligned, what, what does that say about me? How does that reflect in the public's eye about me if I'm eating here? Right? Yeah, that's, that's very important, you know? So you know, it's two, it's a two pronged thing. Cause you have to have that, but the food has to be great too. You know? So I see a lot of, a lot of times nowadays where people have this, they, they have all these principles, but they don't, they don't practice good business. You know, they don't keep good hours. They don't, they're not consistent. They don't, you know, so um, I see that. So you have to do both things. You have to be a, a, a great business. You have to have a great product. You have to be consistent. Uh, you have to have good value. And then you have to have good values too. Mm. So, so uh, 
you said that you kind of you, you started developing this this um, community early on before you were even open for business. You were doing private dinners within the space. Uh, mm-hmm. Was it busy when you turned the keys open? Were you guys jamming, or did it, did it take time for the the Texas market to kind of warm up to the vegetarian um, approach? Or since you were the only vegetarian option, did you guys get flooded from day one? Well, it's it's funny we op- we opened January of two thousand seven, so. Um, we were busy from day one, you know, uh, for what, I mean, you know, we were a couple hundred customers every day, line at the door, you know, and then you get these people that are eating there two or three times a day, you know, and they're kind of burning themselves out early, but we were jamming from day one. And then along comes the recession, mm-hmm. you know, like that same year. So it was uh, jamming from day one, you know, I was working those 18 hour days. I had an apartment in the building that we uh, built there and I was just crashing there and waking up in the morning and starting it all over again. But then, um, like, you know, later on that year, uh, you know, the big panic and everything happened, you know, so people weren't eating out as much and it, it slowed down. So we had a big start and then, a you know, like a two year slump in the recession. So, I mean, I think this is kind of a appropriate right now to talk about how to survive a recession because there's one that's right around the corner. Uh, I'm hoping that it's not going to happen, but let's be honest. Um, we should probably act like it's going to happen. Uh, so how, how did you guys survive that recession? Well, you know, it was, it was building that goodwill, you know, and I mean, of course you've got to get lean, you know, you've got to get really lean and that's what, you know, I'm, I'm kind of blessed to have been through that, um, before because like, it's, this all happened so fast with the coronavirus thing, you know, that, uh, we knew we had to get lean really fast, you know, and, um, all the, all the things that you pile on as you get bigger and have more restaurants and everything, you gotta, you gotta cut all that stuff and get lean. So getting maybe, lean, maybe we'll getting, put this on the back burner. Cause I want to talk about the coronavirus. I want to talk about how you guys are handling it. And I think that we might get a little repetitive. So teaser, um, okay. ha- hang in there guys. If you want to hear more about that, I'm sure we'll, we'll break it apart. Uh, but, the, the recession passes. Now it's 2009, 2010. Um, take it, take it there. You survive the recession. You got lean, you focus on relationships. Then what things start turning around? Then what? Yeah. So we started to, you know, 2009, 2010, our business started to build back up to better numbers than it was before the recession. And that's when we had, there were a lot of opportunities afterwards. You know, there were a lot of landlords who had built, you know, um, locations and, and everything that were, you know, 50% occupied. So a lot of opportunities were open after the recession. Um, one of the big ones we seized on was a little restaurant that somebody had opened and was only open for six months and uh, had spent, God knows, I don't know, four or $500,000 to build this thing out. And we swooped in there for 20 grand and opened up another green and it was busy from from the day we opened to. So this is the first time you went from one location to two locations. You've gone from yeah. one location, new concept to another location, new concept. But this is the first time you've had two physical locations, separate spaces. What yeah. was that transition like for you? Well, you know, it's it's good when you um, I like uh, when I studied in and out burger, I read their book and everything, too. You know, whenever you get a crew, you get, you know, top heavy with talent. You know, you've got some guys that are ready to run their own kitchen. You've got some crew that's ready to split off and run their own dining room. We got to that point around 2011, and that's when we opened up that other location. So your people hit and a ceiling. That's that's when you that's the trigger. Is yeah, uh, we got to we got to give them a space to to grow. You know, so we opened up and and had, you know, we had you know 
seven or eight people that were ready to, for their own store. And, um, and that's what we, that's what we did. And, and it just had an opportunity for them to grow. Beautiful. Um, and I love this approach of kind of, I think people are so eager to grow, so eager to scale. They, they get a, a ahead of their toes, right? So you had the people that had hit a ceiling that, um, couldn't grow in that the positions they're in anymore. Uh, and you also had this turnkey operation. And I think that, when it's like when these perfect cases, like it's not never going to be absolutely perfect, but I think there, if there is a finding that balance of waiting for opportunity and having the, the right and being prepared, right? It's what does that say? Like success is when opportunity meets preparedness or something like that. Yeah. 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 Uh, take us through um, that transition of, of offboarding your, um, not offboarding, but transitioning, moving over your, your, your top talented people and then having to build up the people underneath them to be able to, to step into their place. What was that like? Well, um, yeah, I mean, it was, that was, it's hard to remember back on that kind of things, but, but that was a, it was, it was actually really easy. You know, we had, it was easier because you take a core group of, you know, of people that are already on board with your mission, already know what product you're doing. You take that over to a new location, then you're bringing in people and you're training them to those things. And the, the beauty of what we do is that there are always people that are motivated um, to, you know, by our principles and what we do to be on our team, you know. So there are some vegetarians and vegans out there that, that want to come on board and they want to work in a space where they feel that their values are, are appreciated and, uh, and aligned with. So we had a, you know, we had a lot of people that were ready to come and work for us and wanted to come and work for us, you know? So, um, we were blessed. We had that talented crew and, and just, and motivated people who wanted to work for us too. So, so how much time elapsed from one location to two locations? So we were, um, four years before when we opened to before we opened our second location. So 2011. Then, yeah. 2011. So at this point, your brother is on staff too. Yeah, yeah. So what was that like bringing your brother on staff? <laughs> well, it's uh, your older brother, uh, I should mention. Yeah. My older brother, you know, the, you know, no, your older brother never listens to you, you know, but, but he does, he does listen to me. And, uh, and he, you know, he's kind of a, a stickler, more of a, you know, seeing the, the details and the facilities and everything. So he's really complimenting me in that, in that way, you know, I've got a good team. Like I mentioned, my business partner, Paul is a, you know, he's our, does our accounting and things and he's very OCD on our books and things. And my brother's, you know, is like that on facilities and, and, you know, and seeing those things. And I'm more, I get to be creative and get to be, you know, um, deal with the staff and motivate people and train people. And that's, so we each have our role to fill in, in nice. our organization. Yeah. And how do you guys stay in those lanes? Is it just unspoken? We know our lanes, we stay in our lanes, or is there anything that you've done to make sure people stay in their lanes? Well, uh, you know, my brother and I, our lanes are crossed all the time, yeah. but, but, you know, we're, we're brothers, you know, so it, it just, we figure that out, you know, but, uh, but yeah, it's, 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 you know, I think building, um, a job description within an organization, even for the owners and, you know, um, is important, you know, here's what, you know, I want you focusing on and, and getting together, um, you know, every week we try to get together on a weekly basis and, you know, and discuss, um, you know, our direction and what we're doing and how we're addressing issues within our organization. So communication is important. You know? Got you. So you brought your brother on. Um, did you, was it a part of the plan to go to two locations? Were you trying to build the framework, the personnel framework, the leadership framework before scaling into that second location? 
Well, you know, we had um, we had met in like 2010, and 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 we were discussing. I mean, well, early from the start, we wanted this to we wanted to you know be all over Texas with green, and um, you know we're still on we're still planning to do that eventually. But yeah, that second location kind of. You know, I think that sometimes, like you said, sometimes people open that second location too fast and whatever. But um, we were outgrowing our old location and we had, you know, we had a demand, you know. So I, I, that's when you should open your second location, when you've got the talent to do it and you've got and you've got the demand that is outgrowing your current location. It's just to open another location just to do it is not smart. How do you know when your demand is outgrowing your location? Well, I mean, you know, um is it as obvious you know, I, as having a line that's never like down to like one, a couple people or? Well, just whenever the, uh, you know, the, you know, to build a lunch business, like I said, you want to have those ticket times down, you know, seven minutes or less. You want to, you know, turn people through there and so that they can go on and get back to work and everything like that. So when the facility starts to be a bottleneck for you, you know, when you can't do that um, and you're not going to build a lunch business when somebody has to wait for 15 minutes yeah. to get in line, you know? So, um, so when they, when that line gets unmanageable and when you can't really turn it fast enough, you should look at other locations. I got you. Um, so what, can, so 2014, I know you started earth burger. Was this before the third location, um, with green? It's actually the same year. So we okay. had an opportunity to open our third location for green. Um, and I think January of that year, and um, and just had a, a customer that was from. Um, we're actually actually kosher restaurant. Green is actually certified kosher. So we had a um, a Jewish customer in in Houston that owned owned a building there and wanted us to put a put a location in there. And he built it out for us and everything. So it was another turnkey situation. And um, that's been a great location for us too. Um, but but our Earth Burger Earth Burger is something I wanted to do. I love fast food and I love, uh, and as I became, I was, became a father in 2010, you know, I wanted something that was convenient for, you know, a mom or dad with kids to, you know, drive through. And, and, uh, again, after the recession, there was an old Starbucks shell that never happened. And we saw an opportunity to build something and we opened up earth burger in 2014. I love this idea. And this is kind of like my dream scenario is that we like, especially when we come back from this, this recession, um, I feel like there's going to be a lot of skeletons out there, a lot of bones, a lot of framework that just needs to be filled, right? And my sure. and I I the, the I feel like when I think of the mission of Restaurant Unstoppable to inspire, empower and transform the industry, that word transform, I mean giving empowering more independent operators to compete with these bigger operations that we do move in to these these skeletons, the old Denny's and the Starbucks of the world. And I love that that's the approach that you're taking because it's like, you know, right there with the vision that I've had like seven years ago of empowering people to be able to do exactly what you've done. So I just wanted to point that out. I love that that this approach. Why is that kind of your formula looking for like these types of buildings? Is is that on your radar? Is that what you're looking for? Well, you know, um, building out new brand new locations and, you know, and spending a bunch of money on somebody else's property. Um, that's really not in our formula. You know, I want to find something. I want to spend as, as little as possible upfront, you know, uh, on a location. And so that you're not, you know, struggling for four or five years to get that paid off, you know, so finding the second gen places, um, you know, that are maybe overlooked or, um, you know, the second gen, uh, you know, lightly used places are amazing, you know? So, um, you know, that was the opportunity we had at Elan, 
you know, um, or, or having landlords that are motivated to build things for you um, really helps, you know, so you're not really in, in a lot of debt when you open up a location. So that's what we try to do. You know? Got you. Um, so what was the vision for Earthburger? Take us through that. That came after the second um, green, right? Yeah, it came after green. our third, third green. Got actually. you. So um, it was just something we wanted to have um, a great value proposition for our guests where they can get things fast. They can get, um, you know, plant-based food in a drive-through situation. So um, we just, uh, and it's full of flavor, you know, so that's one thing that, um, you know, we just, we wanted to do that for a long time when that opportunity presented it for us. It, w- it was a hit. It was a hit from, uh, from day one there. So you had, so just kind of, from my perspective, what I love about your story is that you've already identified this vertical that you want to be the best at vegetarian kosher, you know, um, vegan, whatever, uh, you want to own that market right within San Antonio. And then with your next concept, you stay in that vertical, but you get even more specific and say vegetarian burgers. And I love that too. Just doing a few things really, really well and being known for it. Was the vegetarian burger a spinoff of something that you're already well known for at at um green because you guys had the green you had burgers a vegetarian burger at green was this taking that burger and kind of just putting it on its own pedestal well no it was it's a different product i mean but but we we're even completely vegan at earth burger uh you know so but you know as a lot of these meat um, substitutes become better and better you know um we started to just uh go with that at earth burger so you know we used the beyond burger there you know i was to me curious if that's if that's what you guys used early on um i didn't even know it was around in 2014 no we used uh, uh gardeen's burger back then but when the beyond became available we switched to that but um there were a lot of great products out there and um and you know we were able to get access to them before other people were and um you know just you know, we when we opened up at at uh, Earthburger, we tested our chicken nuggets against some real chicken nuggets. Did like some taste tests at schools and things like that. And uh, you know, we were we were cutting better against some of those things than uh, than to be expected. You know, people really loved what we were doing. Focus really on putting love into that burger in a fast food setting because what you do, what you get at a lot of fast food places, is just you know some. Some kid who's not motivated making a sandwich that's, you know, lettuce is hanging off half of it. And, you know, but when you can put that love into something in that fast food setting, it really uh, set us apart you know, from the start. Got you. Um, so, I mean, there's a million different ways we can go at this point. I think we're getting close to like current time. We're 2004. You actually opened two more. Well, I mean, t- take us through the success of Earth Burger. I'm, I'm assuming you guys had great success. You have an incredible following online. Uh, you have three locations now. What was that evolution like? Well, um, you know, again, opportunities, you know, I'd like to say that we were more strategic about when we, <laughs> when we open things, but a lot of times, you know, a, a property shows up for you, you know, and, and you, you see if it um, it fits in your model. If if they're you know, so we opened up one in San Marcos that um, that was an old church's chicken that um, came on you know that we saw that was right next to McDonald's and Burger King and all these things. So it was obviously in a good spot, um, and um, you know, but the college town thing was new to us. So um, you know, uh, I actually went to Texas State, so I'm familiar with San Marcos and everything. But um, that one was very successful for us. It's it's been a little bit. It's been different because it's a whole different 
marketing strategy and, and letting, you know, whenever you, you lose 40,000 people every couple of years in a college town, you know, so um, that one's been difficult to figure out, but, uh, but that one's growing. What have you figured out in, in marketing to a college town? What are best practices? Um, well, um, one thing that we're figuring out is you have to get in the institutions that stay there. You know, I mean, uh, when half the population is changed out every three or four years, you know, you have to, you know, get involved with the, the student organizations, uh, with the staff at the school, with even fraternities and sororities okay. and, and things like that. You so know, you, you're looking at there. the entities that are a part of these these colleges that are permanent, like the the, the groups, like the communities, like the because uh, those those communities, those values, those habits are consistent, uh, but they're getting a constant new flow of people that can then pick up those habits. Yeah. So that's, that was a learning experience for us. And we're, we're still, I mean, we've only been open almost two years there, but we're figuring that out. We have a calendar, you know, I, we figured that in the small, t- in the college towns like that, you have to get food in people's hands, you know? And so we've got a schedule. I mean, we've got a calendar um, set to do that. You know, we're going to reach out to this organization on this date. We're going to give them some, some burgers so they can get it out to the new people that are involved in the organization. So um, and you have to build up a, a good amount of local business to support you even when school's out, you know? So, um, that's, that's been our strategy there and it's finally starting to pay off in San Marcos. So I'm just curious, uh, you mentioned, you know, getting, being a part of these, these entities, these communities within community that are consistent. And you also just said getting the burger, getting the food in their hands. What's the best approach to do that, that you found just getting them to try it. Well, um, we do things like, uh, you know, we'll reach out to these organizations, say, hey, we want to get some, you know, next time you have a meeting or something or an event, let's get you some Earth Burgers so you can, uh, you know, have it there. And, you know, a lot of people are really open to that, you know, if they're having a, a get together and we'll get them 10 burgers and fries over there and they can, you know, just have it at their meeting. Um, you know, it's just to get it, getting physically getting food, free food in some people's hands so they can taste and see what we're doing at Earthburger. You know? Yeah. Um, one thing, I, I think it was uh, the founder of Tzatziki's, Richard, uh, man, his name's escaping me. I've gotten to the point where I can't keep up. <laughs> uh, but he mentioned that you never, when, when people come to you uh, for donations, always take part, but never just give money. Make yeah. that into a marketing expense. Make that into, you know, donating food. And then being there to engage people while you're donating food, um, never just give money away. Always give, always give in the product, always donate the food. Cause that's what he said is the best way to, to, to get the food out there. Yeah. We, I feel exactly the same way. I mean, we don't really give money to anybody. We partner with different uh, nonprofits and that's another thing we do. And in, in each area, we have something on our menu called the charitable where we give a portion of, of, um, of proceeds from that bowl to, um, to a certain charity, or we have uh, a night like at, at green, we'll have a different night where we'll have, we'll give a portion of the proceeds. So we encourage people, uh, with those nonprofits to bring people into our restaurant, you know, and we're giving back to them as well, but either food or partnerships like that, that's, that's all that we do. Yeah. Um, and I, I have to ask this cause I'm super curious and this is just me and my own curiosity taking uh, control of the conversation. Um, so you mentioned earlier on that you made this pivot to becoming a vegetarian. Um, mm-hmm. was that primarily for health reasons or for, um, 
reasons due to more the environment in cruel care or, you know, cruelty to animals. Like what was it for you that really pushed you over? You know, for me, it was, it was more of a spiritual thing. And, and then I became more enlightened to other things as well, you know? So I just saw something I didn't want to be a part of anymore. The actual, you know, killing of animals to eat, you know, I didn't want to be a part of that anymore. And, and in my work, I couldn't, you know, I couldn't live a lifestyle and then be a part of it in my work, you know? So it, uh, you know, but as that came along, you know, um, seeing, uh, you know, seeing the damage that, you know, our um, agri- modern agriculture has on, you know, on the raising of animals on the environment is pretty, it's pretty intensive, you know, um, yeah. the damage that we're doing, you know, as far as water usage, greenhouse gases, everything that comes from raising animals, you know, um, for food. You know, so um, we don't I don't ever like to get preachy on that. But, you know, since you're asking, you know, that's 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 a big driver of what we do. We're eliminating the middleman. You know, we're taking those plants and just taking them, and putting them, giving them right to you. And, you know, whereas the, the animal is often the middleman in that. For us. Yeah, uh, I, I guess the reason why I bring mm-hmm. this to the conversation and I'm coming from a very curious place right now, I'm not trying sure. to attack or accuse or anything like that. Um but it's my understanding um, that these plow burgers, as far as not the plow burgers, but the um, the earth beyond the beyond burgers. Thank you. Um, aren't they far? Like the, what, what kind of farming is done to produce these burgers? Well, they're pea protein based and coconut oil based. I mean, you know, so it's a it's a commodity, you know, that's changing. You know, so is it? I guess what I'm not. Con- uh, sure about or what I don't understand is is it is that type of farming sustainable? Um, I believe so. You know, um, there's and a I lot honestly of don't know. Um, I don't know a lot yeah. about this, which is why I'm asking. So I don't want you to think that I'm like attacking your business model or plan. I'm just curious about it. No, it. it um, we believe it is sustainable. You know, um, there are a lot of facts out there. That, I mean, a lot of studies that show that a vegetarian or a vegan takes up you know one tenth the space on the planet as far as resources of a meat eater. You know, you can take an acre of you know I'm not a scientist or anything, but you can take an acre of of grassland or whatever and feed it to a cow, and a lot of that is lost in the process through you know its emissions or whatever you know. Yeah. Um, to actually getting food in your body. Whereas one acre can feed 10 people, you know, if it's, if it's farmed for, you know, for produce. And, you know, as far as, you know, we believe also that that's a healthier, you know, everybody tells you you should be eating less meat and more vegetables, you know, so it's definitely better for you. It's better for the planet and it's better, definitely better for the animals too. You know, the scale of what we do in, in America eating, you know, super processed foods and, and a lot of meat, you know, it, that's not sustainable. You know. Yeah, I got you. I mean, it's definitely a, sub- a subject I want to learn more about. Um, but just like peering into the future, I wonder um, if the trend would ever go to more like not just um, n- you know no meat product, but also no hyper processed products. Because you could argue that uh, the the these vegetarian burgers are super processed, are they not? They are super processed. Yeah, that's you know it's. You know, that's what's, um, you know, our our industry, as far as the plant-based industry, is really skyrocketing right now. But it's doing so because the flavors and the textures are now better than ever. You know, mm-hmm. Beyond Burger is delicious. You know, Gardein makes a lot of great products. Nobody quits eating meat because it 
doesn't taste good. <laughs> really? You know what I mean? Meat, yeah. Meat's amazing. I still smell brisket smoking somewhere and it just gets my <laughs> mouth watering, you know, but uh, meat's amazing, but it's really not sustainable. And, and, and we should all, you know, we should all be eating a lot less of that, you know? And um, so I agree 100% that um, the American diet is way too like far skewed in the, the direction of sure. meat. It's nowhere else. Do I, do I think maybe in Europe that people eat that much? Some, some countries in Europe that eat as much meat as we do. I don't, I don't even think so. Um, and it is, I mean, I think we should start looking at meat as more of like a treat as like a candy. You know what I'm saying? Something that should be celebrated and like, and we just take it for granted. Um, it's just a part. It's just something we eat. We don't even know where that thing came from. You know what I mean? I think that's absolutely an issue that I could get behind for sure. Um, but I get, but I get what you're saying too. I mean, and that's why we offer at green and earth burger. We have whole foods things as well. You know I mean? We have a plant protein bowl with edamame and quinoa and kale and carrots and, pumpkin seeds and all these things at, at earth burger that you can get through the drive through. You can get edamame or apple slices or hummus and carrot sticks with your burger if you want, you know, so we have those options and then, you know, but still people want to order our, you know, our, our more, um, uh, you know, our faux burgers, you know, and everything too. Yeah. They want to order the beyond burger. They want the, the chicken fried steak that we make it green or the, um, uh, you know, they, they really like those things too. So. Yeah. And I will admit that I did kind of just challenge you there and you did handle it really well, but it is something I'm just generally curious about. Uh, and I think it's a conversation worth exploring, you know? Yeah. I mean, you have to be able to defend your brand and defend what you're doing. And, and uh, you know, we feel great about what we're doing. And, and like I said, if people still eat meat, that's, that's fine by me. You know, I just want them to eat more vegetables and more, eat more plant-based products. I dig it. So anything we have not discussed up to this point around how you've scaled your businesses to six locations in total. Now Uh, we didn't really talk about bok choy, which is one one concept that you recently had launched that you decided to uh, discontinue. Do you want to talk about that before we start talking about the coronavirus? Yeah, sure. I think that a lot of times people don't talk about the mistakes they've made. You know, um, we've made, uh, we've made some big mistakes. We, uh, we actually opened an earth burger in the mall of America which, uh, you know, that opportunity, uh, isn't that in the Midwest? So, what's that? Isn't that in the Midwest, the mall of America? Yeah, it's in Minnesota, yeah, that's you know? right. but we had a, the, the people that own the mall of America are amazing people. It's a family, uh, a Jewish family that owns it and they're super nice, great people. And they called us, wanted to open a kosher burger place in there. So we did it there and, and, uh, and it's a great, great place, but it just did not fit our, you know, <laughs> cost, uh, you know, uh, we weren't close enough to get up there and really, you know, it was just, it was a, it was a pretty big expensive mistake for us, you know? Um, so, you know, we, we closed that down about five or six months ago, but it, it's a learning, you know, it's a learning experience, you know, I'm, I'm talking old about the, the mall of America, um, burger. <clears throat> You're not talking mm-hmm. about bok choy right now, are you? What's that? You're talking about the Mall of America burger. Yeah, I'm talking about the Earth Burger we opened in, okay. in the Mall of America. Okay, you know? gotcha, gotcha. So that was that. You know, we have our model that you and I are talking about. You know, low rent, second generation. You know, um, smaller size, and we just stepped way outside of that for that, and it was a mistake. You know, well, um, lesson learned. But yeah, lesson learned. You know, but um, bok choy was something that um, we really loved. It was a you know, San Antonio is a great you know, it's a great place to open things. Cause we, you know, we don't really have a Chinatown here. We don't really have a lot of the things that some of the bigger restaurant cities have. So we saw a niche that, uh, you know, Asian, like plant-based Asian where there are several of those in Houston and other things, you know, but 
we saw that niche here. We opened it up. We had a low cost second gen space. Um, it was really great food. I'm, um, I love the food that we were doing there, but we found that we were having trouble there because um, keeping a crew that could execute, you know, the walk is kind of everything has to go through the walk at this location. And that's a skill that you just can't teach somebody in, you know, in two days how to do properly. You know, that's why, you know, people spend years and years and years developing that skill. And it was just a bottleneck for us, you know, Mm. so we were having a hard time getting food out in, you know, in a timely fashion there with, you know, with our staff, you know, so we, um, we opened it and we ran it for four years and, uh, you know, it had success, but it was, it just wasn't fitting into our, gave us more problems than it, you know, than it did. Um, when do you know it's time to walk away from a business? Well, we got to the end of our lease there and, um, I was looking at, it it basically came down to this, you know, that was our smallest I mean, our smallest store, I mean, um, producing the least amount of revenue, but had a disproportionate amount of issues that it was creating for us. You know, like I was running and getting supplies of that store and filling in on shifts. And, you know, it just took a lot of resources just to keep that place open. And it just came down to that, basically. You know, I mean, I miss eating that food. I love that food. And, you know, someday we we kept a lot of the equipment and signage and things, you know, someday we might, you know, revisit that again. But, uh, but it was, it was, it was more of a distraction for us as, you know, operationally. Got you. Um, So I think now we can bring it to the current time. So um, obviously I've been running the the Corona Chronicles. Um, I don't know how long I'll be continuing to run those alongside restaurant unstoppable podcast. I definitely thought that there was a need to, to go all in on that, just to cover and give perspective. But right now I feel like people, the industry is kind of stabilized in the sense that it's not recovering, but the devastation has happened. We've all kind of swallowed that pill and we're all kind of hungry to start planning for the future. Right. Um, which, and I think that you're a testament to that because you reached out to me asking to be on the show, which means that you're thinking about the future, right? Like yeah. you're ready to, to think about something else other than the coronavirus. So how have you guys been handling this? Like what was your approach? Did you just, you're, you're you, the, the earth burger is pickup, right? Drive through. So, I mean, yes. your business is kind of, was kind of built to uh, handle a blow like this, but take us through how you've been, you know, managing best practices and stuff. So we have the the two concepts at earth burger. Um, you know, it's, it's been less affected, but still affected. You know, mm-hmm. I was, um, you know, I listened to your podcast a lot and, and, and I, and I was wondering, you know, like you, I hear you saying some people are, you know, kicking butt out there and, and, uh, that, you know, but we're down 20% at Earth Burger, even though you go by there and it looks like it's jamming, but we've eliminated our little dining room. So yeah. everything's going through the drive through. So we're busy and, and thank God we're busy and, and, and less affected, you know, now green, you know, before this, um, you know, 30 of our 30% of our business was to go and 70% was dine in. So when we had to close our big dining rooms, we had to let a lot of people go mm. and, and, uh, you know, that's not something I ever want to do. Um, and we had to get lean really fast. Like it happened fast. You know, we were, we had a meeting on Sunday, you know, the Sunday before it all went down and, and, uh, we're like, Oh, if we get to this point, we had a phase one, phase two, and you know, we were at phase three, three days after we had that meeting, you know? And, uh, so 
you know, we tried to get a little bit ahead of things. We closed down our dining rooms, you know, three or four days before they made us close down our dining rooms. And, um, but we had a, we have a core group of staff at our greens that, um, that weren't going to get any help. You know, they weren't going to get, you know, a check. And I don't even know if anybody's gotten a check yet (laughs) in the mail, uh, but they weren't going to get a check and they had, you know, kids and, you know, and parents depending on them. So they were motivated to stay and work and, you know, that's what we've been doing right now is just pivoting every day to provide enough work for them. You know? And in what creative ways are you finding this work that you can share? Yeah, it's, it's funny. I was talking to one of my friends, he's a chef in the business. And I'm like, I've never worked so hard to have half the business you know, that we're right. at right now. <laughs> you know, so, I mean, we're doing things that, uh, you know, that we should have probably been doing a long time ago. So that's the opportunity here. We're doing things like family meals and, and uh, pizza kits and, uh, you know, curbside and all those things we weren't doing before, but, you know, we're on our radar to start doing, we're doing those things now. You so know? what have so, you had the most uh, success in with these new practices? So we've had, we've had the most success in, um, in the, the family meals, you know, that was something that we didn't really do unless people kind of, pushed us to do it for them, you know, but, um, yeah, we're, you know, have these lasagnas, take and bake lasagnas and shepherd's pies and, uh, meatloaves and all that stuff, you know, that people can take home. That was really a nice hit over, over the Easter weekend. A lot of people were doing that. Uh, people are really, you know, we were doing pizza only on Monday nights for a long time. And now we're doing some pizza kits where people can take these things home and, and do that. Uh, early on, we were doing the grocery thing, selling eggs, selling toilet paper and all that stuff, too. So um, that was helpful. That's kind of run its course, you know, because. Well, it's curious that you, you say that, that that's run its course, because I'm, I'm hesitant to even share these best practices because I wonder how long they're going to hold meat or, or be what the, what's the word I'm trying to say? I don't know how long they're going to be relevant. These, these practices, you know what I'm saying? Like, is it, is it something that's come and gone? Should we encourage more people to do things like this? What do you think? Well, I think that we need to focus on what we think it's going to look like after this all goes over. And I think that, you know, if 30% of our business at green was takeout before, um, I think that's going to be 50 after that, or, mm. you know, at least. So, we need to get our, we need to look at our facilities. We need to look at our staffing. We need to look at our packaging and, and think of the best practices, you know, let's make that experience the best it can be. You know, when you get it home, is it something you can put in the oven? Is the packaging holding up on the travel? Is, is it, um, are they getting the best experience over the phone? Um, are they, are they able to, is the food ready for them when they get there? Is everything in the bag? You know, um, that, those things aren't going to change, you know, People, you know, some people after this are going to be freaked out. You know, they're not going to want to go sit shoulder to shoulder with people in a restaurant, Mm -hmm. you know, day one, it opens back up, you know, so we have to, you know, we're going to space out our dining rooms a little bit. We're going to be very transparent about things we're doing to, you know, have as minimal contact um, with, with packages and things like that too. But the real, the real thing that's uh, that, you know, that I'm, you know, working on is to still have the personal experience in those experiences. How do you do that? Well, that's, you know, you and I talked about this earlier, you know, like I'm, I'm a hugger, man, you know, and a handshaker and a, and a a smiling guy, you know, and I, and I try to be very positive about this thing. So like, um, but so you still have to, you know, you gotta make eye contact with people. You got to slow down 
in those transactions and, you know, look people in the eye or if it's on the phone and, you know, give them a, a, you know, a heartfelt thank you and, you know, for supporting you. Because if we, like my caution in all this is to get so sterile that we've removed the human experience out of the transaction, you know? I think that's a real fear too. I mean, the, the framework is in place for us to move away from more social experiences. I mean, we, yeah. we don't need the social experience anymore, you know? I mean, we, we do need it as humans. I think we'll see that no matter how well built the pickup and delivery framework is, people are still going to want that human connectivity, that human touch. And, I, and I'm, I'm grateful for that. Uh, I think it's a, very much a part of just our hard wiring. So you're never going to necessarily build that out of us overnight. We could evolve away from it, but things typically take a lot more than a few years we evolve away from. Um, so I think there's hope that things will come back stronger. Um, not stronger, but just as strong. But I think what's important is that we can kind of identify that we get to choose how we come back. Right. And we yeah. can identify the, the, these, these weak points and we can choose, come back higher touch. I mean, what do you think about that? Yeah, I think the higher touch is a, is a real, um, is really important. You know, before this, um, you know, I would always do when I was talking with our staff and, and, and our partners, I'd be like, you know, it's a cold world out there and people are, you know, working on their computers all day and everything. They want to go somewhere and, and, and be kind of lifted above that for a little bit, you know, and just have a personal experience with somebody, share a moment with somebody. Mm. And uh, that's really important. I mean, people go crazy without that interaction. They literally go crazy without it, yeah. you know? So um, we need to still be that in people's lives, you know, that best 30 minutes of their day or whatever, if we can be is when they're in our restaurant and they get a smile from somebody, a thank you from somebody that's, that's, that's true. And, and meaningful. So that's the struggle. You know, I, I'm, you know, I, I don't like wearing these masks, but I'm wearing them in the restaurants, you know, and, right. uh, you know, but that's, that's I, mean, I think struggle, that's kind but, of my biggest fear. I feel like a lot of people, and I'm not putting you on the spot right now, but I think a lot of people are wearing the masks, not because they're afraid of transmitting or catching the virus. They're more concerned about what people think of them. If they're not wearing the mask. Like you're not taking this seriously. And it's more of a social norm than it is a precaution. Yeah. Well, we saw what would really kind of, you know, again, we're like pivoting every day on these kind of things, but what I started to see was more and more of my guests coming in, wearing them, you know, and, uh, and I'm going to do it for them, yeah. you know, um, you know, and the, really the mask are for, you know, to, um, to prevent us from passing on anything to people. They're not yeah. really to protect us. Yeah. You know, there's distancing barriers that we kind of put in the restaurant physical spaces to and some procedures and taped on the floor and things like that to, you know, create some barriers, but I still want to look people in the eye. I still want to be there present with them. I still yeah. want to, um, you know, hand them, put their food on the table for them and thank them for their business, you know? So, um, but yeah, I mean, I wear the mask for, you know, because I love people, you know, I will and say I this, you are a high risk person because you're out there seeing a lot of people. So I guess yeah. it wouldn't make more sense for high risk individuals to be mindful and to care enough to wear the mask to say, Hey, like I'm coming in, in contact, maybe not physical contact with hundreds of people a day, but face-to-face contact, um, sure. maybe I should be wearing this because I am at higher risk. That, that does make sense. You started getting into some of the, the detailed things that you're doing to make people feel safe. You mentioned wearing the mask. You mentioned putting the tape up. What are the other things you're doing to make people feel safe? 
Well, um, you know, at Earthburger, we're having um, a different person take the money and hand you the food, you know, so like um, we're trying to do that. You know, some of the bigger guys have already had those two windows in their locations where one person takes the money, the other person hands you the food. So, um, you know, we're we're implementing those changes at all of our Earthburgers. Um you know, we're, we're encouraging our staff to wear the mask. We're propping our doors open, you know, so that people don't, if, you know, when they do come inside to just grab an order, um, they, they can still come inside and grab the order, but they don't have to open a door yeah. and things like that. Um, you're, we've you're moved our narrowing the touch points. Yeah. We're moved our counter up to the, like, um, at the greens, we've moved our to go counter up to the front door. So you can walk in, there's a little area with plenty of space but you don't have to walk all the way through the restaurant to get to it. Mm-hmm. You know? Um, so we've, we've done those kind of things. We've, you know, have people call us if they're out front and we'll, or, and we'll run their food out. And, you know, some people want that kind of thing, you know, some people still want to come in and say hi, you know? And, and so we got to come in and say hi, but you know, there's a yellow line on the, on the floor and, you know, there's a little, you know, so there's distancing put in place, you know, so we're gloving up on, you know, and all that stuff too. So. You know, we're doing the the best we can, even though it kind of goes against, you know, all of my beliefs. You know, I'm a, I'm a personal touch guy, like I said. Yeah. You know, so. I mean, hopefully it's just temporary. When we started talking about this earlier and I put it on pause, um, there's, an, you know, a clear recession that's, you know, on the horizon after we get through all this. I mean, we're already, we're already kind of in it right now. Um, how did you survive that early 2008 horizon or sorry, um, that early 2008 uh, recession and what's your plan to survive this upcoming uh, recession? So um, I think the, one of the most important thing is to, is to look at the opportunities that that are, uh, avail themselves in this. So this is an opportunity for us to get leaner. Um, we had, you know, we, you know, we're looking at our linen consumption. We're, you know, looking in our marketing spends. We're looking at, um, I mean, every little, everything's on the table right now. And it's also a good opportunity to get your menu lean, you know, mm-hmm. like, you know, over the years and the longer you get in business, you keep getting more and more items on the menu. Next thing you know, you got 35, 40 items on the menu. You know, let's, let's get that down to 25, 20, you know, let's get lean less product on the shelf, less, um, you know, less um, prep that you're doing. That's all the, you know, all that decreases what's going to spoil, what's going to get lost, what's going to get, you know, so get really lean, you know, and that has, has this process of getting business. lean happened for you yet, or is that something that you would like to do? No, we're doing it. You know, we got lean, you know, this is an opportunity. People are going to forgive you if you take a couple of things off the menu, you know, um, they're going to understand that, you know, so it's an opportunity to get lean. You know, if you open up after this and you're exactly the same as you were before it, then you didn't really use this as an opportunity to change what you can change, you know? Um, so we're going to, you know, our menu is going to be leaner and meaner. We're going to have better to go practices. We're going to keep our counters up front so people don't have to come in, you know, all the way through the restaurant to, you know, to get their to go food. We're going to, you know, we're going to work on making all those things better. Um, we're going to still have those family meals once we open up, you know, people like them, you know. Uh, so let's learn from this and and, uh, and and be stronger when this is out because things are going to be different for sure. Yeah. Awesome stuff. Is there anything we have not discussed up to this point that you want to get out? Now's the time before we take one more break to thank our sponsors. We'll be back for a speed round. Um, I can't really think of, it's been a great man. You, you've, you've dropped a lot of value on us to this point. Thank you so much. So we'll take one more quick break and we'll be right back. 
Let's get real. Grease is a fact of life in any commercial kitchen. But with the grease-fighting power of Dom Professional Manual Pot and Pan from P&G Professional, you'll clean more dishes in every sink compared to leading private label. Dom Professional has the power you need to fight tough grease and get those squeaky clean dishes you're looking for. With long-lasting suds that clean up to 58% more dishes per sink and reduce sink changeovers by 35%, saving you up to 6,000 gallons of hot water per year versus private label, it's no wonder Dom Professional is the number one dish detergent in the U.S. P&G Professional's complete restaurant cleaning program includes products, equipment, and 24-7 service to deliver a noticeable clean that will keep your patrons coming back time and time again. To learn more, go to www.pgpro.com and experience the grease-fighting power of Dom Professional dishwashing liquid. You can find Dom Professional at Sam's Club or by visiting samsclub.com slash Professional. Now go get it. We're back, and the first question I have for you is what is your it factor? A habit, a trait, a characteristic you believe most contributes to your success? Um, I like to be present, meditate, prayer, uh, but try to be as present as I can in my interactions with people. Look people in the eye and really listen. What's one thing we can start doing to be more present that's helped you? One thing is I've set a like trigger point. So anytime I'm at a I'm in a cashier situation or something where I'm handing somebody money. I want to really look them in the eye and tell them, thank you. And just check in on them. You know, yeah. like if that's at the gas station, or whatever, I've, I've had some of the most beautiful moments of my life when I've kind of lifted people up from their, you know, moments, you know, like at the register or whatever. One of my favorite checkpoints or these touch points is doorways. And I've heard people say this, whenever you walk through a door frame, that's a trigger to be mindful of the energy that you're bringing into that room. Yeah, that's, uh, that's awesome. I yeah. like that to like when I walk, when I get in the doorway at home, I want to tell my kids that I see them, mm. you know, like I don't want to be on the phone. I don't want to be anything, you know, whatever. Like they're the most important person to me at that moment. You know, I love it. What is your biggest weakness? I'm a, too optimistic, maybe too trusting, you know, sometimes. So, uh, you know, but um, it's, a, it's a good weakness to have, I guess. What is one question you ask or thing you look for during the interview process when you're building that team? What are you looking for? A lot of times what I'll do is just tell me about your last, tell me about the last place you work. And if I will just, I find this, that if you let people just talk and talk and talk, they'll tell you, They'll tell you the issues that they have. They'll be, I mean, people will just unload. They'll tell you what's, you know, why they're not there. They'll kind of give you the, you know, clue of what, what they are going to be like to work with. You know? Yeah. So if you just let them talk. Yeah. And if they're, if they're talking trash and they're bitching and moaning about previous employers, maybe that's a cue that you don't want that kind of energy. Is that kind of what you're looking at? Yeah. I mean, you know, the characteristic I like most in people is when you can, and you know, people that don't ever talk bad about other people, mm. you know, so, um, you know, if even if you've got a previous job, you know, that was, didn't end greatly, you know, hey, I learned a lot there, you know, whatever. But if they start trash talking, you know, that it, it makes me question character. Yeah. What is your biggest challenge today? I wonder. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, my challenge today is to keep the personal touch in an impersonal situation. So. And I think you've already shared 
um, some of the things you're doing. The the follow up question is usually how are you doing that? Uh, but I think you've shared some of those things. So we don't need to go back into that. Thank you. Okay. Uh, share one code of conduct or behavior you teach your team. Um, I, I try to teach my team to to slow down and to really be with the guest in that moment and to really look people in the eyes. And also um, we try to really teach the golden rule. If you wouldn't eat this, if you wouldn't serve this to your family, if you wouldn't want to be treated this way, don't do it to our guests. I love it. What is one uncommon standard of service you teach your team? So this is something that's common within the four walls of your businesses, but not common throughout the industry. Um, we teach our team that they have to, because of the very specific things that we do in our restaurant, they have to be experts on what we do. So, um, you know, what's in this, where's it come from? How is this better for me than the alternative? Those things they need to, uh, they need to know. Um, they, our customers come in our restaurant expecting our servers, our counter people to be experts on what we're doing. So what are you doing to make your people experts? I mean, we're training process up front. You know, we have testing them on, on knowledge, personally spending time with them, talking about ingredients, talking about preparation, talking and spending a lot more time up front, you know, um, with them. Can you get specific as the things that you've put in place that paint that picture of what empowering your people with information looks like? Well, you know, um, you know, at Earthburger, you know, you're going to spend three or four days before you've actually rung up anybody at the register or, or cooked a meal for anybody. You're going to spend that time shadowing, um, learning what we do, why we do it, looking at the resources that we have, uh, you know, telling about, I mean, learning about what goes into our burgers and our, in our, in our builds and everything. And then you're going to show that to your supervisor, you know, the person that's training, you're going to show them and, and teach them what you've been taught. So there's that whole process of, of being shown, showing, and then before you can go on and be with the, be with the guest and, and, and involved in that experience. Got you. Uh, what is one book that's a must read to make us a better person or restaurant operator? You've already dropped a couple of good ones on us. I'm really curious what you're going to say here. Um, I like, um, how to win friends and influence people. Yeah. Uh, I like, um, I like to read, um, the Dave Thomas biography, you know, I thought was really compelling. Dave Thomas literally, you know, came from being a foster child dishwasher in a chicken shop, you know, to being a multimillionaire all around good guy too. So what was the name of that book? Dave Thomas's autobiography. Is it just Dave Thomas autobiography? Yeah, I think so. I forget. I don't think it was. I forget the name of the book, but it's been something. Oh, another one called Dave's um, way. I love that. If anybody's interested in that book, it's called Dave's way. Dave's Uh, way. Um, I like the fog of war. Um, The Robert McNamara biography is really amazing too. Um, One of the things I learned in that is that, you know, it's not really important what you think you're doing and why you're doing it. It's what people think that what they think is the reason you're doing things. It's really important to me. So did you say that that's the fog of war? The fog of war. It's Robert McNamara, who was a genius, you know, secretary of state during the um, Vietnam War, you know, um, but, um, you know, it's a guy humbling himself and saying all the things that he, all the mistakes that he made during that process. Beautiful. And I'm pretty sure the majority of those are on audible. If you head over to audibletrialcom slash unstoppable and you're not already an audible uh, member, I'm telling you, audiobooks have changed my life. I don't know if you listen to audiobooks, but in, yeah, and like in this industry, we don't really have the time to be still. And when we are still, our 
brain is usually mushy and gushy at that point. So I don't know about you, but I'm not reading when my brain's tired. Um, and with audible books, you can, like, you can turn your car into a university. You can literally, whenever you're doing anything, that's just like rogue, like muscle memory. Like you can be listening to a book and improving yourself. So audibletrial.com slash unstoppable. If you use that link, um, you'll get, I think your first book free and you're supporting restaurant unstoppable. So thank you so much. And the next question I have for you is what is one thing you feel restaurant tours don't do well enough or often enough? Well enough or often enough. Um, I guess, um, I, I guess, you know, as the more successful we get, the more distant we can get from our crew. And I think that one thing that we really need to realize is that it's called in servant leadership. I like to study that too, is that, that they have the answers. Our team has the answers because they're dealing day to day with our customers. So we're trying to solve issues. You know, the higher up we get in an organization, we're trying to solve issues that our crew already has the answers to, you know, so we have to really be talking with the people on the front lines. We have to really get to know them personally. Can't be fake. We've got to really get to know them personally. And they have the answers. We need to remember that they have the answers that we don't, we don't have all the answers. Yeah. I love the analogy of um, basically like, think of your brain as a battery, right? And your battery only has so much potential energy on its own, but when you open up your, your brain to the brains of others, you're literally connecting your, your brains like a bunch of batteries together. And then you have the access to that much more potential energy of all those minds combined that have, you know, just, just brainstorming in general and creativity in itself is such a powerful tool that we do not tap into. Yeah. That's, 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 that's what, you know, lifts humans above all the other animals is that we have that capacity. Yeah, absolutely. Name one service you've hired or outsourced. Uh, well, we use Bento Box as our <laughs> our uh, website um, host for uh, Earth Burger. Um, we use, um, you know, we like uh, we try to utilize our 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 vendors, you know, that and their expertise and all the tools they have. We use U.S. Foods a lot, so um, they have a lot of tools and everything that they help us with. But another one is. Um, Home base is a scheduling app and communication software uh, program that we really like. Um, allow and it actually helps us to onboard people too. So, so there's a lot of options out there with um, <clears throat> scheduling and, man- and labor management. Why home base? Um, it's just something we got through U.S. Foods that um, they introduced us to it, and it's just it's been really nice as um, as a communications tool um, for us, you know, and and just the the benefit also of, you know, there are people that come on and apply through home base for, uh, for, um, positions and everything too. It's been really helpful. Yeah. And, um, a lot of people ask me which labor management tools that they, they, they should use. The first thing I say is what are you already using and see what plays well with that? Um, it sure. sounds like that's kind of the approach you took. Yeah, that one's, that one's working really well. A lot of, uh, you know, a lot of your point of sale systems have labor management tools and in, built into them. Too, yeah. Or but, they integrate you know, with labor management systems. Uh, yeah. They play sure. well with others. So I think that's whatever you're using, like for your main system, like POS system or mm-hmm. your food provider, see what, what kind of relationships they can uh, navigate for you and help connect you with. Um, and then you yeah. mentioned bento box, huge fan of bento box, uh, past sponsor of the show. Why bento box? Well, you know, a lot of, you know, um, we've actually used use them at Earthburger and we use a different one at Green. And a lot of the things that you think you, you know, need to develop have already been developed specifically for restaurants to yeah. whether to sell gift cards or to have your menus or third party integration or whatever. Bento Box has already done all those things. So 
you know, we're not, uh, you know, having to reinvent the wheel every time we want to add some service. It's already there and it's just a plug in. So yeah, um, it's been great on that. For sure. And um, I mean, for those people who don't put a lot of energy and time and investment into their websites, what do you have to say for those people? Um, I mean, you know, a lot of people, we, we, when you get with Bento Box or if you have Google Analytics or whatever, you can see that a lot of your customers are coming from that location. So that's your, that's your door, your front door. Yeah. You know, a first impression. If, if it's, if it's outdated and neglected, you know, it, it reflects badly on you too. So. Yeah. Awesome. And, um, I, th- I, you kind of answered the technology question, so I'm, I'm going to skip that, but I'm going to go back to name one service you've hired. And when I'm saying service, I'm thinking of a person, um, like somebody has that has a skill. Maybe it's an accountant. Maybe it's a designer. Maybe it's oh, yeah. a lawyer. Somebody. The purpose of this question is to help good people connect with good people within the industry. I want to start tracking this. So who have you outsourced to and been really impressed by? Well, we use a, um, a restaurant-specific CPA in San Antonio, and his company's called the CFO to go. And um, there are a lot, I mean, if you're using just a run of the mill CPA, I mean, there's a lot of people out there know, but there are some very specific uh, rules and um, incentives to take advantage of for the restaurant business. And this guy only does restaurants and, um, and he's really taking good care of us. Drop, drop his name on us. uh, His name is Brian Potts and his, his company is called the CFO to go. Beautiful. We'll be sure to link to that. And the last question I have for you, and this is a doozy, and you listen to the show, so I know you know what's coming. Uh, if you got the news, you'd be leaving this world tomorrow. All the memories of you, your work, and your restaurants would be lost with your departure, with the exception of three pieces of wisdom you could leave behind for the good of humanity and for your legacy. What would those three pieces of wisdom be? Um, to be kind. One. Be generous. Two. And give God the glory. So. Three. Uh, thank you so much, Mike, for taking the time to come share your story, your knowledge, your mentorship, and uh, for you know giving me the, the the encouragement to get back to doing business as I as I know it, uh, doing these deep dive conversations and sharing knowledge. I think I think our industry wants to get back to normal, and if, if I can start putting this content out again, and that helps us get back to normal, then good, right? Yeah, you're helping a lot of people out, man. Appreciate well, it. Thank you. And how can we connect with you? Um, if we want to maybe come join your team or we have questions, what's the best way to connect? Um, you can DM me on Instagram. They're really the best. And, and I'm the Veg King on Instagram. And um, Or you can reach out through eatatgreen.com. Uh, so. Beautiful. And uh, who? this is something I almost forgot to ask you. Who do you respect and admire and believe and make a great guest mentor on the show like you've made for us today? Call them out. Um, I got a couple if that's all right um, yeah please i i like jason Dady here in san antonio he's a, a chef who has several restaurants does a great job he's really done a great job in the in the current crisis situation um also like uh johnny hernandez from la gloria um very successful guy but he's very down to earth and very active in the community as well and andrew wiseman's a good friend of mine and uh a great chef and operator here too. All right, Jason uh, and Andrew, look out! I'm coming after you. I've had Johnny on the show. I don't oh, know if Johnny's you know awesome. Yeah, he's incredible. But maybe I can get him back on the show uh, to to follow up. Um, That's actually one thing I want to start doing is going back to my past guests and, and catching up. And we've been doing this for almost seven years. Stories have changed. Things have evolved. Yeah, man. All right, man. Thank you so much for taking the time to share your story, your knowledge, your mentorship. There is no questioning. You are unstoppable.
Thank you. Well, there we go. Another episode wrapped up here at Restaurant Unstoppable. I hope you guys all enjoyed it. Thanks again to today's guest, Mike. That was a great chat. Some great things to pull from today's conversation. Uh, I really like the the advice that Mike gave to kind of scale slowly. And they they started in a small space with their first location. They they slowly started to like break down walls and grow out. And I think sometimes people try to go too big too soon. And you can just start where you are right now today with your relationships, right? Maybe not right now today, but actually, no, screw it. Yeah, fuck it. Right now today, start developing relationships regardless of what our situation is start developing those relationships. Business is just an extension of relationships and start sharing that story and start going through the dreaming process now and just show your work. That's literally all you have to do. It's a lot of work though. It's not that easy, but it, it's that simple. Um, I also like this idea and this advice that Mike gave us uh, in, you know, we're not always going to have the same vision. We're not always going to be the same person of the same principles. We, grow, we evolve, we mature, we, we adapt and our, sometimes our values and our visions adapt too. Um, and you need an exit strategy in case that happens. If you lose the fire, if you lose the passion, uh, you got to build your business as if you were going to sell it, not necessarily with the intention to sell it, but as if you were. So if the time, if the time comes, um, it's not completely dependent on you. An example of where Mike, made uh, a restaurant that was dependent on him is with the walk, right? Um, that's a, that's a business you can't scale. That That's a business you can't get out of because it needs a special skill. So you got to be mindful of that kind of stuff. Great conversation today. And I hope you guys enjoyed that. We got back into these deep dives. Um, I don't know about you, but I was, I was chomping at the bit to kind of get some sense of normalcy in my life. I'm not on the road. I'm not recording these on site like I would like to be, but hopefully soon I will be. And hopefully you guys appreciate kind of getting back to normal. I'm going to slow down on the Corona Chronicles. Uh, maybe we'll be wrapping up completely with completely with those in the next couple of weeks. Um, but for right now, I'm just going to get back to doing what I love, serving you, learning and growing in uh, tra- helping transform our industry. So uh, stay positive, uh, keep an open mind, try to try to just come out of this thing stronger than ever. All right, guys, we'll talk to you soon. Until next time, peace out.